You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello and welcome back to Blank Monster. I am your host, Marie. And in these segments, I bring to you two or three monsters from the Monster Manual that I believe are underused or overused and bring you new ideas on how to use them. We have been working through the 5e Monster Manual from A to Z, and currently we are on to letter H. The letter H has a couple of big name monsters in it. We've got hacks, we've got half dragons, which are technically not dragonborn. They're, they're kind of their own little thing as well as hippogriffs and a couple of other guys that are kind of well-known. For this episode, though, I wanted to bring three monsters that I found interesting, both because of kind of the lore that goes with them, as well as seemingly the limited use, but I think with some of the past edition lore, you can expand them out a little bit. So let's go ahead and jump into our first monster, which is the harpy. Now, harpies are pretty well-known in mythology, they are half human, half bird, very mean creatures. Typically, if you come across them, they're usually female. Although they actually can be male or female, normally when you see them, they are female. The reason for that is because of their songs. Harpies are able to do a very beautiful song that entrances their victims, allowing them to capture them, lead them in places such as a pit, over a cliffside, pretty much anywhere they want to. The lore from the 5e version actually says that the first harpy was an elf that learned the song from the gods, and when she was unable to get what she wanted with the song, she cursed the gods, turning into the first harpy. Now, it doesn't say where the later ones came from, we'll hand wave that, but the idea of a harpy song is very ingrained in it. It's sort of the siren effect, that they're not beautiful, but the song kind of makes you forget what they actually are. Now, they are unfortunately cowards. They are not interested in fair fights. If you're able to overcome the song through a wisdom save, they are very likely to run away if they don't have an advantage. So they are fairly easy to fight. They're not incredibly tough creatures. But if you're not able to break free of their spell, you don't really have a chance. If you don't break free, (laughs) they will capture you. And again, they are very mean, very cruel and they can spend days torturing a victim because, as 5e version says, they enjoy the songs of the tortured person. Once they kill you, of course, they'll take anything you have on you. They often will take any trophies from the victims and line their nest with it, including fighting each other for what they believe is a choicest piece. If you don't have anything valuable, they'll take something like hair or bones, so you can get a very grotesque nest going on of things that are trophies that this harpy has taken that really aren't that impressive. The versions kind of differ as far as how they look. And the 5e version, the lower half of the body is a vulture, and 3.5 is a bird-like dinosaur. So you get a little bit of variance with it. And this is something we'll talk about in the scenario ideas, because in the 4e edition of Monster Manual, we have a Bloodfire Harpy variant. Not only does the song enchant people, but they can use their song to actually cause the blood to boil, dealing fire damage. So their song has a lot more magic potential than just charming people, which I think is really fascinating because it means as a DM, if you want to reskin a harpy to be based on an environment, you can tailor this harpy to fit that environment very easily by just giving them an extra ability to their song that fits where they are. 
If they're in a desert, maybe it does fire damage. If they're in the mountains, you can do frost damage, which we'll get into. So there's a lot of options there that you can kind of add an extra effect to it that makes it a little bit more unique than just it's a heartbeat, plug your ears, run away. So a couple of scenario ideas for these is this one's a little bit more the obvious one, but you've been sent to a harpy's lair to retrieve a relic. Now, this, of course, means that the person sent someone through a harpy's domain, they were captured, and or never came back, and they assume their relic is there. However, this doesn't mean that the relic is there. This could easily be a trap. Again, harpies are not highly intelligent, but they are clever enough. This relic could be in a harpy's lair, but this relic is going to be very shiny, probably very pretty, and that means people might want to come for it, including other harpies, because again, they fight over who gets what. You can make it really easy to find this relic. There's a nest up there. You go up there, get the nest, see the relic, great. All of a sudden, there is a song, and they forget where they are. They see a harpy flying over the cliffside, and they go, oh, walk towards it as they walk off the nest, off the cliff. So. Yes, it's a very straightforward adventure of go get the relic, but you can add the extra layer of the harpy kind of using it as a trap of waiting for someone to come for it just to be able to entrance them. Another option is actually one that works off the variant idea that your party is being sent to explore an area in the spine of the world, which in Faerun mythology is basically mountains in the far north. And while they're there, they discover that people are basically being frozen to death somehow. They're not really sure how. It's just kind of people come back with frostbite. People are literally frozen solid. And as they investigate, they discover a new harpy variant that can freeze you with their song. So not only are you being charmed, which in a frozen tundra will be really bad because frostbite is not the worst thing that can happen. Hypothermia is a major factor in this area. And if you were to spend days out in the frozen desert, you're going to have hypothermia very quickly and it's not pretty. So being able to freeze people with their song means they can keep people still, cause more damage, and also keep people alive longer potentially. So this kind of adds that wrinkle to it where your players might be familiar with the Bloodfire Harpy if they played for you or they've heard about it. But they're not going to expect a Harpy that will freeze them in place. Because I would add not only frost damage, but your movement is slowed because you're literally freezing and unable to move. So that's a fun wrinkle you can add to that monster to make it a little bit different, but make it a much different fight as well, because you're fighting two different features on the harpy. The last one is actually based around the idea of where harpies come from. <laughs> so again, we have male and female harpies. Rarely are they in a mixed group, though, except when they come together procreate, at which point the female lays eggs, because again, they're half bird, and the male leaps. The female, once the eggs are hatched and the harpies are I guess, old enough to survive. The books aren't really clear on that. Then they all kind of split off. So your wizard can have discovered a harpy nest with unhatched eggs, which means this is a very interesting magical item and or creature you can put in a zoo, you can study. It's a baby harpy. What else are you going to do with it? You need to get the female away, though, so you can retrieve on the eggs. This is where it's going to become a challenge of, you know you're dealing with a harpy, you know how to fight a harpy, you know what to worry about with them. So whether the wizard is with you or not, you can kind of determine if your party needs the help. But you'll have to figure out not just how to not be subdued by the harpy, but how to get away from the nest because it is guarding the nest. They are not super parental figures, but they're just going to stick around long enough for the eggs to hatch. 
So you need to get this female harpy away from the nest and hope there's none other in the area so you can get an egg. So that has a couple ideas for the harpies. Moving on to our next monster, we have the hellhound. These are interesting because they're kind of what you would think. They are a fiend-based hound that lives in the lower plains or the nine hells. They serve primarily devils, fire giants, and just other evil creatures. It is a large dog that breeds fire, which is very interesting. Seeing a dog is like, oh, it's a big dog. We have a lot of those in D&D. We have direwolves. We have the wargs. We have a lot of large canines. They are not especially tough, but fire damage can do a lot to people, especially if you have flammable stuff on you. They also hunt in packs, meaning that you're not dealing with one. You're dealing with multiple. And according to 5e lore, they feed on anything that appears edible. So they are looking for prey, and if they think you are prey, they will try to eat you. They are lawful evil, so they are good at following commands. So for any devil or creature that controls them, they will follow through in commands. But if the hellhound is not allowed to follow through on its malevolent nature of just feeding on things, it will leave or find a new master. So there is an intelligence behind these guys. It's not just a blind servitude. They have a desire. If they aren't allowed to do that, they go somewhere else. So they can be temperamental in that regard. You could have them just leaving. They could turn on their master, maybe. Again, they're lawful evil, but that doesn't mean they're not going to do what they want sometimes. The other thing I think is most interesting with them is they have an internal fire that when they feed is stoked by everything they eat. That fire completely consumes them when they die. So there's nothing left behind. So if your party wants to say, oh, well, there's this thing here we fought. It's a burnt patch of ground. There's nothing left. So this is a really fun enemy if you want to throw something at your party to make them a little bit paranoid. <laughs> and also make them look like they're insane. This is definitely a um, Hound of the Baskervilles. So I've got two ideas for this guy. The first option is you have an evil wizard that has tried to use hellhounds as guards. Right? He's like, oh, these things are great. They can attack them when it comes near everybody fine. But he's not allowed them to fulfill their nature, so they have turned on him. So he's lost control of them, which means they are looking for a new master, but they're in the material plane. And evil people are not just a dime dozen like they are in the Nine Hells. So you literally have these hellhounds running around the countryside eating and destroying things that your party will need to figure out how to stop. Now, again, they're not especially tough, but they do hunt in packs. So it makes it challenging because you're not finding one or two. You're finding five or six, probably. And if any of them get away, you now have to go on a hunt. The other option, and you'll probably notice this is a favorite scenario prompt of mine <laughs> at this point, is you're being tasked with bringing back the fur of the hellhound or another body part, if you so wish, for a spell. Spell components are a really big thing that you can do with D&D because everything can be a spell component if you really try hard enough, or you can just decide someone wants to experiment with something. So it's really easy to bring back something as, oh, it's a spell component. The trick with this, though, you can't kill it. If you kill a hellhound, you lose the entire body. So either you have to be really fast with getting that body part, risk fire damage, or bring it back alive, at least long enough to get what you need off of it. So this is another scenario prompt where your party needs a magic cage to lock this sucker in to bring back because it is not coming back on its own. With it being in a pack, that does prevent the issue of luring one away. However, 
it does have that drive of I will see what I can eat, which means you could, in theory, lure it to wherever you want it to go. Again, it is kind of intelligent, <laughs> so you can't just blindly trick it, but you could convince it to go somewhere if you wanted to, if you're able to somehow give it what it wanted, which is definitely a darker path. So much more for the evil party than the party of we're just going to capture it. But that is an option. The last monster is the Helmed Horror. You will probably remember in the very first episode I did, we talked about animated items. The one that I focused on was the animated armor. This armor was enchanted to follow specific commands, and it kind of was stuck with that. A Helmed Horror is very similar, except it has actual intelligence and reasoning abilities. So a Helmed Horror is essentially animated armor that is given a little bit more magical input and it also has a flight ability so in a combat situation it'll actually move around by flying and it is intelligent enough to know take down spellcasters and other weaker opponents so it's not just blindly attacking it knows what it's doing in combat so if your party is going in there oh magical suit armor not too bad they may not be prepared for this now it doesn't have enough insight to change its environment so it can't put up barricades, it can't move things around, it's not going to try to create obstacles, unfortunately, but it does know how to navigate field of combat. The other thing, it requ requires less direction than just an animated armor does. And, most importantly, it knows the difference between exact wording and intention. If you say to protect something, it knows what that means beyond just make sure it physically isn't damaged. It understands to keep this thing contained within the space, if that's your intention. So you don't have to worry about how am I wording this command? It's exactly what I say. How could it be twisted? It understands intention, which for some things is much more important than exact wording is. The other really fun thing I like about these guys, and it's my favorite thing, is they have magical resistance and they have so many resistances. It's insane. These things physically do not have that much health. They have so much immunity and resistance. It's crazy. Including... Spell immunity to three spells of its creator's choice. Now, for those of you not familiar with this terminology, let me explain. Certain creatures have resistances, meaning if they are damaged by something, they take half damage. So primarily you have barbarians that when they get hit, if they're raging, they take half damage to physical attacks because they're raging. It doesn't do as much damage, right? So resistance is half damage. Immunity is no damage. You typically see this with dragons, with a lot of really high-level monsters, that they are immune usually to whatever damage they deal. So, like, fire dragons are immune to fire damage. That kind of thing, right? And I might be getting that a little bit backwards, but that's that's the idea. So, when you create this Helmed Horror, you give it immunity to three spells of your choice. If you know your party well enough, you will know what spells they favor, and you can give it those three spells. So, if you have a wizard... And a warlock that loves to cast fireball. And a sorcerer that loves to cast fireball. Guess what you get to do? It's immune to fireball. You do fireball, nothing happens to it. That is a huge immediately red flag for your party of, oh, we don't know what we're dealing with. Because also, you don't know what the spell immunities are until you throw a spell at it. Because you could give it immunity to dispel magic. Which, in theory, would slow it down. But now, it doesn't do anything to it. So you as a DM get to be really clever or really mean when you create this monster for your game. In 4th edition, this monster has an extra feature 
and that has an elemental attack. Rather than being simply a suit of armor, it's actually infused with an elemental spirit, and it can channel that energy. It can kind of change the energy a little bit. I think the main one they kind of present is fire or thunder, depending upon where you're pulling the elemental from. But that means that rather than just a sword attack, you get to do extra damage on top. The creature also has true sight, meaning it can see you even if you're invisible, and regeneration. So it can heal back from certain attacks. So again, not a lot of hit points, but a very difficult creature to fight. So there are two ways you can use this to mess with your party. The first is that an enemy of your party has made this creature specifically to attack your party. This is where you as the DM get to be very, very mean and have a lot of fun. Because you can choose three spells that you know your party favors for spell immunity for the creature. This could be because you're punishing the party for something. Maybe they turned their back on someone you need help. Maybe they made an enemy out of someone because they didn't follow through on a deal. And this person legitimately has reason to come after them. Or it could be you're trying to force players to think outside the box. Maybe your players have kind of gotten stuck in a rut a little bit. Maybe it's a campaign. You just want to change it up. And you're forcing them to use different spells. Both valid options. Both, I think, are really fun. And especially in a party with a lot of good humor, you can really mess with the players. Go, nah, that spell doesn't do anything. And just wait for the chaos to happen as they scramble to figure out a different spell. The other option is that your party is being sent to retrieve an item. Again, standard quest fare. This item is a very great evil. So... The reason they're getting it could be nefarious. It could be they're trying to move it to safe location. You decide. However, the helm's exact instructions were prevent it from falling into the wrong hands. What this means is this helm can decide to break the item to prevent the command. Because the intention of the command was not just to keep it here. It was to keep the world safe from it. So the command is not just keep people away it's to prevent the item from causing damage so it can break the item if your party doesn't defeat the helm and doesn't get the item in time they might be dealing with a magical fallout of an item that's very very powerful very very evil and is now damaged and breaking so you are having to navigate the fight not just in how you're dealing damage but in how the helm tour is attacking you because again it's intelligent it understands magic enough to go after spellcasters. It knows what they can do. And it knows this creator's intentions. So you can really create a different outcome of just, we eventually defeat it and run away. No, no, no. If you don't defeat it in time, it's going to realize what's happening and take drastic actions. And because it does have the option, um, fourth edition, that you could pull in of elemental attacks, you could give it true sight if you wanted to and regeneration as well, just to really make it difficult for the party to deal with. So your party will have to think outside the box and how they want to fight this thing. So that is three monsters for this episode. We have the Harpy, the Hellhound, and the Helmed Horror. Let me know how you would use these guys in your scenario if you have other options that you would do with them. As well with the Helmed Horror, what spells would you give them immunities to? Because there's several common spells that I think you could use, but there's also a bunch that are very powerful that get used as a one-off spell that I think would be interesting to give them, especially for high-level parties. But let me know how you use these guys in the scenario, and I will see you next episode. Hello! 
Bob Spuds here on the scene once again reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut tension full truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. <laughs>